Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this edition, we're heading out to the Oregon coast, to a town where if you listen carefully, legend says you might hear the sound of a beautiful princess calling out from the sea. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, David, so in this episode, we are talking about one of our favorite Oregon coast towns, a place extremely beautiful, but also a little bit different, and that is Bandon. Rooted in Native American history and named for a town in Ireland, Bandon is very much a place of the southern Oregon coast. It's home to spectacular beaches and a lighthouse. It's surrounded by less visited wonders, but has its own unique vibe, partly due to the world-famous golf course that is right in its backyard. Yeah, I'd say prior to the arrival of Bandon Dunes, the town was a little scruffy around the edges. I've been going since I was a kid. I love it. I still love it. It's great, like most southern Oregon towns, you know? It had a little nice worn-in feel. Yeah. But now the Scottish-style Lynx course is frequently at the top of lists for the best golf resort in the world, and it's kind of brought a little bit of shine to the town. (laughs) There's some nicer dinner options these days and a few shopping destinations, but overall, the character of the town is much the same, and it really rewards those who are willing to travel a little bit further down the coast for a lesser trafficked area. My parents love taking us down there on a longer trip, Kind of when the possibility of another weekend in Lincoln City elicited some yawns. So I love it. <laughs> um, I can totally see that. I, I feel like Bandon, it's exotic is the wrong word, I think, but it has a unique feel. Like it sticks out among Oregon coast towns. There's a lot going on, but not so much that it's overwhelming like Seaside or Cannon Beach on the North Coast. I feel like it straddles that line between locally cool and touristy pretty well. I mean, about as well as you can anyway. So for me, what makes Bannon stick out is the number of great hikes and adventures and destinations that are very close to town. So driving down here does take a while, but once you arrive, you don't need to go very far. So that's what we're going to focus on today, the best of the best right around town. Now, sadly, neither one of us are golfers, (laughs) so if you want to learn more about Bandon Dunes and its remarkable golf course, you are going to have to turn elsewhere. I am unable to speak to uh, the best holes at Bandon Dunes or the Scottish-style links or how that's different from any other course. Yeah, we got nothing for you. I'm sorry. I'm sure there are a few golf podcasts out there, though, that'll, that'll hook you up. Sure. Before we get rolling, let's talk a little bit about the location. It's about a half hour south of Coos Bay. The town itself is pretty small, home to just over 3,000 full-time residents, but it has a pretty nice collection of restaurants and shops downtown. Like most coast towns, there are some cheaper motels and hotels and expensive vacation rentals, along with a pretty big state park where you can make a base camp. Yeah, I'd say Bandon has a really nice mix of the stunning and the subtle, but again, the highlights are either right in town or only like a 10-minute drive away. Now, per usual, we're going to highlight some of the quirky stories, legends, and history, and there's a lot there. One of the deadliest wildfires in Oregon history, 
one of the state's biggest drug busts, and a ton of local legends make the Bannon area a very rich place for storytelling. So we'll hit on that as well. All right, let's jump into it. Let's start out on the town's beach, one of Oregon's most beautiful patches of sand. Okay, so there is a number of places you can access the Bandon Beach, but my favorite route starts at a long wooden staircase at Coquille Point and then heads down to a beach packed with sea stacks and islands right off the shore. Kids are going to have a blast looking for the barnacles and mussels on the big beach rocks and just kind of poking around. At low tide, you can hike all the way about one mile to another wooden staircase at Face Rock State Scenic Viewpoint. So that makes for a pretty good family one-way hike two miles out and back. Now, as you're heading up the stairs at Face Rock, make sure to look out into the ocean and you will see a large rock with a face that appears to be staring out at the sky. That, as the legend goes, is a beautiful princess. So the legend goes that a visiting Native American chief, Chief Siskiyou from the Inland Mountains, brought his daughter with her dog and cat with kittens to a potlatch by the ocean at this site. It was a huge celebration. All the chiefs from the area were in attendance, a ton of abundance. They were cooking a bunch of food, huge shindig. But Chief Siskiyou's daughter had never seen the ocean before and was so enchanted by the sea that she swam out, ignoring warnings about an evil spirit who lived there. The spirit captured her, threw her pets into the sea when they tried to rescue her, and tried to make the young princess look into his eyes. She refused to do so, instead staring at the moon in the sky. In time, they all turn to stone. Now when you look out from the beach, you can pretty clearly see the princess on face rock looking up at the moon. And then you can see her dog, cat, and kittens, and the smaller rock formations just off to the north side. Yeah, you know, face rock is one of the most recognizable landmarks on the south coast. You know, it's just a beautiful spot in general. But it's also become well known for a new reason, and that's because April through August, it becomes the site of a very cool event called Circles in the Sand. It's a little hard to describe without a picture, but basically a group of artists get together and create an intricate labyrinth designs on the beach. From above, they look a little bit like highly artistic crop circles, and they are the brainchild of artist Denny Dyke, who's been creating this this sand art since 2011. A fun part is that once the artists finish creating these labyrinth maze artworks, the public's allowed to walk on them. You'll see people following these fun, funky pathways on weekends and usually a Thursday or Friday. It's pretty fun and has become increasingly popular. Here's some audio I took on a visit last year. Hi, I'm Denny Dyke from Circles in the Sand, and I've been drawing on the beach now since 2011. 2015, I took the project full-time. We draw 40 to 60 days a year for the public. I have a team of five uh, drawing people with me and another six or seven ambassadors that help us. And all the grooming is done by volunteers. We are here to celebrate love, joy, peace, harmony, and spread as much community love as we can. What inspired you to do it in, in the first place? Actually, I was never an artist before I started this project. I started it because uh, I'm used labyrinth as a meditation tool for years and so I started drawing for myself originally. Uh, when I first started drawing people uh, would walk around the pieces of work. I was called the alien, I was called the crop circle guy uh, for several years. Uh, but now as you can see they all come down and enjoy the walk for us. Last summer we averaged about 400 people a day. Did you ever expect it to become such a, I mean it's a it's a tourist attraction now on par with anything in Bandon. It's uh, really taking a life of its own now and I had no 
uh, outcome in mind, and I still don't. Uh, my team and I come down here, everything's improv, we don't pre-plan anything. Okay, so is it, so you pick a theme, and then do you come up with, you know, sort of interpretations on it? Like See, Most of the themes are, we've got ocean, we use celestial, we have a zen theme, where everything's just nice and smooth. Uh, and then bottom line is, when they get out there, whatever they put in the sand. Like I said, uh, but that's just an indicator, let's focus on hearts, let's focus on love, or whatever. What's the process? You mark it in the morning and then draw it or tell to bring me from the morning okay. into the afternoon when people are walking okay. around. Uh, we got on the sand here about eight o'clock this morning. Uh, we look at it from uh, up on top and uh, decide where we're going to draw. And uh, then we come down here. There's five of us when we start. And uh, basically we put in our dedication circle and an entrance and an exit. And then James goes to one end, I go to the other, and we start drawing. We'll leave the circles for the sand artists to do what they need to do. And then the groomers come in and groom it all up and make us look good. Yeah, I, I see the public is, is walking through it right now. Are they walking like a, uh, it's almost a, a maze? or? Well, it, it's a, a labyrinth. It's a single path, no dead ends, no wrong turns. Uh, this particular one should be about a half mile long. And as you'll notice, everybody's just enjoying the nice even walk. And uh, especially with everything going on in today's world, we need that time to just settle down, be with ourselves and in the environment. If you visit the Circles in the Sand website or Facebook page, you can find photos of the sand art along with a schedule of when the events take place. Normally the artists start drawing pretty early in the morning and then people are allowed to walk the maze sometime between 8 and 10 a.m. The organizers do focus a lot on trying to make sure that it's not very crowded and everyone is observing social distancing. So it's actually a pretty COVID friendly event. Yeah. All right. Well, the next place that we are going to talk about is just across the Coquille River, about two miles north of town at Bullard's Beach State Park. There's a big campground and a pretty well-known lighthouse there. Yeah, if you were to choose an icon for the area, the Coquille Light is it. It's the second shortest publicly owned lighthouse in the Oregon coast, and it sits right at the mouth of the Coquille River and is actually visible from the historic downtown Bayfront area. Now, historically, it's kind of been a little unloved. After being replaced by an automated beacon on the south jetty around 1939, the lighthouse fell into disrepair. It was purchased with the land by the Parks Department for the State Park, but only saw minor improvements until a major restoration in 2007. But unfortunately, this didn't come without its own issues as well. During the restoration work, layers of old paint actually revealed several different color schemes over its life. And Parks officials found and chose this kind of darker brick red for the base, and then a pretty nice light tan for the top rather than the more traditional Coast Guard mandated all white and black. Now, soon after the repaint, the mayor and the head of the historical society at the time strongly rejected the new colors. They really wanted to bring back the white like every other lighthouse everywhere. But those colors were found to be historically accurate. Yeah, I mean, when you visit it, I really feel like it doesn't have that sort of authoritarian presence that a lot of the other lighthouses just have just by looking at them. I think part of it is due to the color. Like it's just a little it's a little quirky. Um, like the the lighthouse is almost like the goofy uncle of the Oregon <laughs> lighthouse family. But it's worth visiting. I mean, you can drive pretty close up to it and then you can hike out to the base. It's a beautiful spot with, you know, the Coquille River on one side and then the ocean and a nice beach right there. So it's it's a cool spot. But I mean, you're right. It's it just 
It's an offbeat lighthouse. It is. It's a great place for a picnic. Yeah. So, and more importantly, it anchors the area's biggest state park, which offers year-round camping for both tent campers and yurts and makes a great base camp. You can be back in town for dinner or a grocery run in just a few minutes. The park offers horse trails, beach access, and even some hiking in kind of lowland forests and meadow areas. Yeah, I like how close the state park is to town. Like, we didn't do this, but I thought of it afterwards. It, it would be fun to just get a campsite and then ride your bike uh, into town for breakfast, then come back out and hang out at the beach. That's a pretty good day. Like, that's a, that's a nice day. And speaking of hiking to the beach, I think the best trail from Bullard's Beach, it's uh, called Three Mares and Pearls Trail. It's this combination. And it's just... You know, classic, you start in the forest, you go over some bogs on boardwalks, and then eventually you get out to a nice secluded beach. Nothing that's going to blow your socks off necessarily compared to some some of the other areas, but it's a very pleasant two to three miles, you know, getting you out to that solitude-filled sand. Now, right inside the park, there's actually a boat ramp with pretty good access to the Coquille River. If you're going to get on the water, what are your options on the Coquille? Yeah, well, if you love fishing or crabbing and you're set up for it, this is definitely a good place to do it. The boat ramp accesses um, the, the real lower section of the river, so you can kind of get out to that area. There's good um, salmon fishing, there's, there's steelhead fishing, and like I said, good crabbing. But if all you've got is a kayak, and that was the case when I visited, you can paddle out into the Bandon Marsh Wildlife Refuge. So basically what you do is you put in at the little boat ramp and you paddle upstream and veer out of the main river and into these narrow channels that travel through high marsh grass. It's actually a lot like being in a corn maze, except that you're on the water, in that you don't always know where these little channels are going to take you. You'll come across a ton of birds, including my favorite, the great blue heron. And in some cases, you'll actually find ancient Native American fish traps. They're actually left from the Coquille tribe that used to use them as fish weirs um, to, to get fish in the mud. Now, they look like kind of just vertical poles that are weirdly standing there, and you're kind of like, what is going on there? But they are these fish traps that have survived in the salt water and mud there. But generally, it's just a peaceful and interesting paddle. You're likely to have solitude, and to pull it off, it's best to try launching your boat when the tide is coming in so you can kind of ride it upstream and then finish up as the tide is coming back out so you can ride it downstream. Now, as far as looking at a map, you can actually just kind of get on the water and look at Google Maps and just paddle over into what's what they call Bannon Marsh Wildlife Refuge. That's all I did. It's pretty straightforward. Should be halfway decent at paddling, but good, you know, good, mellow, solitude-filled adventure right in the middle of Bandon. One quick addition on the wildlife refuge, they're actually working on building a hiking trail out to explore the Martian forest. So check out the website if you head out there and see how that's coming along. Yeah, you know, it's not the most dramatic spot that we're going to talk about, but, you know, it's definitely a place where you get that solitude, that quiet, and that wildlife, uh, again, right in town. Yeah, if the, if the beach is too windy, it's definitely easy enough to just head in inland and enjoy some kind of calm calm in there. Yeah. Okay, so so far the stuff we've talked about is pretty much right in Bandon or right around it. Our next spot is a little more of a destination, about a 20-mile drive from Bandon itself, but it's worth it for the relatively unknown gem. 
The place is Flores Lake State Natural Area. Now the lake itself is pretty cool and a popular spot, but the real gem actually is a hike to a place called Blacklock Point. This is one of the most rugged and remote parts of the Oregon coast, and this hike actually, you know, emphasizes that. A few months ago, we did a podcast with the Associate Director of the Oregon State Park System, Chris Havel. He actually picked Blacklock Point as his number one best and most overlooked spot in the entire state park system. Here's what he had to say about it. First, you're not going to see a sign to Blacklock Point for the trailhead off of the highway. So um, I pick it because it's a stealth park. The locals know it, and it doesn't take much work for you to find it. Uh, there, there are a couple of things that sort of elevate it in my mind. First, it's the home to the pygmy forest. Endangered plants, rare animals, trails that not have just sort of, of been built up, not a lot of people, lead you to in my view, view. <laughs> one of the most stunning views, and I'm including Sam Boardman in that, which is hard to beat, mm -hmm. of the the South Coast, which is still where my heart lives. Um, while the North Coast, no shade to the North Coast, but you has got people. And uh, on the South Coast, uh, Blacklock Point, Flores Lake State Natural Area, Curry County is just, you know, it's a little bit of heaven down there. All right, so we're going to take a break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, we're going to highlight one of the most remote beaches in Oregon, a place so isolated it became a popular location for drug smugglers. We'll also talk about an excellent mountain biking area and explain how the man who founded the city of Bandon laid the groundwork for one of the deadliest events in state history. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air, and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. All right, welcome back. In the second half, we're going to highlight one of the most remote beaches in Oregon and a great mountain biking destination. But first, we've got the story of Bandit's founding and how it's linked to the town's worst disaster. Okay, so the town was officially established by George Bennett in 1874, and he named the town in honor of his hometown, Bandon, Ireland. The town slowly grew, sprouting a post office and even a small cheesemaking industry. But at some point, Bennett made a fateful decision to introduce a plan from his hometown known to some as Irish Hedge. Today, it is better known as Gorse, and if you've traveled the South Coast, you've seen it. It's a thick, spiny hedge with small yellow flowers on it, and in Britain, it was considered decorative. But in Oregon, it quickly became one of the most notoriously invasive plants in the West. It went absolutely wild in the fertile soil, spreading all over Bandon and beyond, and it set the stage for disaster. And the really, the worst part, of course, isn't just that it's wildly invasive, spiny, noxious, and can aggressively crowd out native plants. One of its worst attributes is that it's actually extremely flammable and has evolved not only to withstand fire, but thrives after fire, sort of clears out competing plants. Yeah, so this resulted in disaster at least twice in Bandon's history, but most notably in September of 1936. 
In that case, a fire ignited east of town in the forest. It's still unclear exactly what happened, but a strong east wind swept the fire towards the city. That's when things got bad. It ignited these massive rows of gorse that were up to four feet high at the time. Firefighters found that burning gorse was really difficult to put out because it was so oily that when they sprayed it with water, it just spread these burning gobs and sparks everywhere, helping the fire to move from house to house and bringing just mass chaos. The fire killed 11 people, destroyed the entire commercial district of Bandon, and burned down all but 16 of Bandon's 500 homes. The loss was estimated at $3 million, a pretty huge sum in those days. Yeah, and it's clear that gorse is among the worst type of plants to have around a fire because, again, the plant is evolved to encourage it, which is not great. Bandon's brought strict rules against gorse since those days, but it's still everywhere you look out there on the south coast and... You know, you can thank the man who just wanted a little taste of his native country in the new world. All right. Well, at the beginning, we talked about some of the great under-the-radar places near Bandon. And one place that definitely qualifies is New River Recreation Site, about 10 miles south of Bandon. But don't let the quiet fool you. This is once the site of one of Oregon's largest drug busts. Yeah, so there's a lot going on here out at New River, but let's start with the river itself. So New River is a stream that runs parallel to the ocean for nine miles. Now, that's kind of weird. So let me describe that a little bit. So there's basically the ocean, this long strip of beach in the middle, and then a pretty large river just on the other side of that very small beach. It's it's pretty odd. So the river was created in 1890 when Flores Lake flooded after a big storm. A large sand dune stopped that excess water from overflowing into the ocean, so instead the water carved out a new channel behind the front dune, and that became what's today a pretty wide stream. Like, this isn't a small creek. The legend goes that a startled farmer, like, (laughs) wandered out onto his fields one day and basically said, hey, it's a new river, and that's the name that stuck. So that sounds interesting, but what can you actually do there? Is this the best for a canoe? Can you visit the beach between the river and the ocean? What's going on? So let me answer the first question, then I'll get to that isolated beach, which again ties into the drug bust. So recreation, there's a few good options. You can actually start at Flores Lake and canoe the entire thing. Uh, There's good steelhead and salmon fishing in there. I headed directly out to what's called the New River Area of Critical Environmental Concern. Sounds serious. Yeah, that's really the name. It's managed by the Bureau of Land Management. And, you know, basically you get there and you follow this gravel road way, way, way back off the highway into this kind of remote little area. There's a fun trail system back there that's that's really pleasant. It used to be a place called Storm Ranch that, you know, like a, a old homesteading family grew up on. Now, the trail system is exceedingly pleasant, traveling over dunes, forest with views of the new river and the ocean that's just beyond. There's a little boat ramp there where you can plop down a kayak and paddle out onto the new river and go across to this beach that, you know, sits in that area. It's kind of like a beach that's surrounded by a moat of water. It's it's sort of a weird experience to be up there. You do have to be careful about going over there. It's snowy plover habitat, which is a protected bird in the area. So make sure to just check out the signs and the website before you do that. So what about the drug bust? Right. So this very peaceful little area, this area of critical environmental concern, was once the site of the largest drug bust in Oregon history. In 1977, a California guy named Arthur Allen purchased this place, Storm Ranch, from the couple that had owned it for decades. And locals started noticing odd things happening after he bought it. 
So all the roads were promptly, you know, gated off and they would see these amphibious vehicles like the old school World War II ducks just kind of like rolling around town and band in there just like, what's going on? Like, this is weird. DEA and local sheriffs started investigating, and on New Year's Eve in 1977, the Coast Guard swooped in and seized six tons of marijuana being <laughs> offloaded uh, from an amphibious vehicle onto a ship that was docked on that very isolated beach that sits between, you know, New River and the ocean. It's just a it's a hard to reach place, so it seemed like a good place to you know set up a, a drug ring. A total of 17 people were arrested, and a few days later, Alan, the guy who had bought the property, was arrested while hitchhiking down Highway 101. (laughs) So if you visit the New River area, now, again, it's a really peaceful and quiet place now. But the reason that it is is that the federal government seized the property (laughs) after this massive drug bust. So you have them to thank for this nice little patch of quiet out there south of Bandon. Finally, we'll wrap things up with a look at a pretty unique system of mountain bike trails that's still evolving just outside of town. Yeah, so located just north of Bandon, about a 12-minute drive, are the Whiskey Run Mountain Bike Trails. It currently boasts over 25 miles of single track that they're actually still adding to today. The professional trail building company that's built many of the trails since it opened in 2017 just posted an Instagram photo of a new connector trail being roughed in in about mid-February. So again, still expanding. The trail system is one of the only of its kind in the South Coast, so it's you know pretty unique in that respect. It's built inside a working forest owned by Coos County, situated between Highway 101 and the coast, and it offers really something for all skill levels. As I said, the trails were built and designed by a probe trail building company with plenty of experience, so they're really nice and flowy with great pacing. You get views of the ocean, wildlife, kind of trees at different points in their life cycles. You kind of breeze through. There's several ways to put together loops of varying difficulty or even a shuttle run for those adverse to too much climbing. The locals say the trails are even friendly for fat bikes. To explore the area, your best bet is either download the Mountain Bike Project app for digital maps or grab a printed map from Pineapple Express Adventure Rides in Port Orford. Yeah, it's so cool to see places like this pop up in places that you don't expect them. Because with mountain bikes, all you need is like some elevation, maybe some forest, and if you have a dedicated group, magic happens. And this just looks like another one of those cool places that just you make it happen. Yeah. Again, this was a story of a dedicated group of volunteers raised interest, partnered with, you know, county folks and made it happen. Yeah. And that's that's a big upside for the town because like a lot of the stuff we talked about is kind of family friendly. It's it skews to that level. But, you know, now you've got some thrill rides. You can leave the kids in the hotel, you know, get out and, you know, have a little fun. Yeah. And at the same time, there are, you know, extreme difficulty trails as well as family friendly trails. So sure. bring out the kids. There's a little pump track. There's all sorts of stuff out there. Fantastic. We've covered quite a bit of ground here, but there's still a ton to discover about the Bandon area, including the area's famous cranberry bogs, which make up the majority of the berries production in Oregon. The coastal climate and sandy soil kind of combine to make really great growing conditions. The area hosts the Cranberry Festival during September. So again, plenty of stuff still to dig. All right. Well, we hope that this, uh, you know, stoked your your interest in an area that doesn't get as much visitors as some of the other places on the northern coast. Bandon is a very cool place. Definitely worth visiting. And uh, we hope you check it out. All right. That's about all the time we have for in this episode of the Explore Oregon podcast. Make sure to check out other episodes. Hit us up at statesmanjournal.com slash explore. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those fun places. Thanks for listening. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the American Forest Resource Council. 
AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. For the environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org.